service and uh, introduce Chad, and I'll let him introduce his wife, Brooke, and I, I don't know if your daughter's in here. She go to Children's Church? Okay, but you can talk about them as you want, okay? Let's welcome this morning. Well, good morning. So good to see you. Honor and a privilege to be with you. This is uh, my better half, Brooke, in many ways. Uh, she's sitting there on the front row. Go ahead and wave, babe. Yeah. And then my daughter, Allie. And I'll tell you a little bit more about their story if you guys come back. And it'll also be a hook to get you back. Okay. Anyways. So uh, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Uh, I want to I dive in uh, today in Luke chapter 3. I want to dive into verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Listen to what it says, Luke 3, 21, when all the people were being baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from the sky, which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Oh, let's read it again. When all the people were being baptized... It came to pass that Jesus was also baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was open, spirit descended, and a voice came from the sky saying, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Jesus, man, we need that, this revival. Oh, we need an outpouring of your spirit. Fresh and anew, God, change our atmosphere, change the atmosphere of our church, change the atmosphere of our lives. Father, may when we gather together, may it be a Pentecost-type moment. May it be new church. Would it be the church of Acts, Father? Would we begin to realize that what is inside of us is greater than what is outside of us? And may we realize that wherever we go, wherever we put our foot, God, you are releasing a new atmosphere. You are transforming and changing and shifting and moving, and you are impregnating the atmosphere with the movement of God. So, Father, this week, would there be a movement of God? Would there be healing and wholeness and holiness on your Mount Zion, because wherever your presence is, it is Mount Zion, Father. So this morning as we gather together, this is Mount Zion. This is a holy moment, Father. So pour out your spirit afresh and anew. Father, would you just heal today? Would you heal your body? Would you beautify your body? Would you make, make your beloved what you dreamed your bride to be, Jesus? Thank you this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, we're diving into the book of Luke, and the writer of the book of Luke is? Luke. Luke, very good. That's not a trick question. So it is Luke, okay? Look at your neighbor, say it's Luke. All right, very good. So the writer of the book of Luke is Luke. He parallels two individuals. As a matter of fact, in the first four chapters, he parallels two individuals. We're diving into the second half of chapter three, which is very, very, very significant because the second half of chapter three is the launching of the kingdom, which is all about sonship and daughtership. Well, it's actually about sonship for Jesus, daughtership for you if you're a female. Okay, anyways, so it's the launching of the kingdom, so he parallels two individuals. He parallels the life of John, and he parallels him to the life of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the angel Gabriel comes and announces John's birth. 
And there's actually eight prophecies about the birth of John that the angel Gabriel shares with Zechariah. Then the angel Gabriel goes to Nazareth and announces Jesus' birth with eight separate prophecies. And prophecy simply is a foretelling of what is coming because dad or God doesn't want us to be in the dark in what he's doing. Amen? Two of you agree. Good. So literally, there's this prophecy of John. There's this prophecy of Jesus. That is, John and Jesus are so important to the plan of God that God sends an angel to announce their birth. What if you were so important to the plan of God that God dreamed you to be alive for this hour? Look at your neighbor and say, that's exciting. <laughs> right? So then you have the actual birth of John, end of chapter one, and then you have the actual birth of Jesus. Then chapter three, which we're diving into, is the start of the ministry of John, and then you have the start, not of the ministry of Jesus, but you have the actual start of the kingdom of God that is birthed down at the river, because ministry is not something you do, ministry is who you are. So wherever you go, ministry happens all around you. So when we come into the, to chapter three, we've got to understand what's happening. John is not your typical priest. He's not your typical Nazarene. See, he was this guy who had literally shucked all that and he had gone out into the Jordan River or down by the Jordan River, he had gone out into the wilderness and he had chosen to live. And John has this wild hair. John has this wild beard. John doesn't have a toothbrush. He only has camel skin. He bathes in the Jordan River. So when you get around John and you look and he smiles, you see locust legs hanging out of his teeth. You see honey in his beard. He kind of smells. That's John. And John is down at the river, and verse 2 says that the word of God came to John, and literally John became this light bulb down at the river because John was reminded of who he was created to be in chapter 1. And when we're reminded in the body of Christ who we're created to be, we appear in the midst of our community. Did you get that? Yeah, let's say that again. I got to think it through, though. What did I say? Jesus, what did we say? Oh, when you're reminded of who you're created to be, you will appear in the midst of your world. And the word John literally is flipped on a, like a light bulb, and people come from miles and miles and miles around to hear John. And so there's crowds down at the river. There's prostitutes at the river. There's tax collectors, IRS agents, Right? We need them to get saved. So, hey, they're down at the river. There's Roman soldier down at the river, ISIS agents. And then you have a group of Pharisees and Sadducees are down at the river. And the Pharisee and the Sadducee are there just to inspect to make sure things don't get out of control. You know anybody like that? Don't look around. Okay, so hey, you got these groups down at the river. So John begins to yell, repent, repent. Repent, for the kingdom is here. 
And so John begins to preach down at the river, and as he begins to preach, revival breaks out. And so the prostitutes start coming down to the river, and John says, oh, hey, I'll baptize you. And John is telling them that, hey, God has done this in the past. This is how he's forgiven sins in the past, but there's a whole new way that God is going to forgive sins. There is a person, there is the Lamb of God who's going to come, and he's going to take away the sins of the world. So God is up to something new, and so he's looking at the crowds, and he's saying, listen, you've got to let go of the old you got to let go of the past and you've got to embrace the new thing that God wants to do in your life so you need to repent. And the prostitutes know they're desperate so they get in on this. Oh, the tax collector, he knows he's a cheat, man. He gets in on this. Hey, the Roman soldier, man, he knows, hey, fighting violence, it ain't working for me. He gets in on this. Do you know the only group that doesn't get in on this? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because they're just down, they're okay, right? I mean, this, this God thing, I mean, hey, I, we already did this thing. I mean, we got a law, we got our customs, man, we're good. It's not about us. Well, yeah, the prostitute needs it. Yeah, I mean, this, this service, this sermon this morning's good. My wife, she really needs it. <laughs> you ever been there? So John is preaching, man. Baptisms are happening. Prostitutes are getting saved, man. John's dunking so many people in the river, and as he's dunking so many people in the river, we begin to call him John the Baptist, which has nothing to do with denomination, right? At least we had Jesus. Jesus was a... Very good. Anyways... You'll get that later. So, so John's dunking all these people. Jesus shows up down at the river, Luke 3, 21. He shows up down at the river. And it's interesting, even as Luke is writing this, verse 20 or 19 and 20, John ends up in prison. So it's almost like in Luke chapter three, Luke is concluding the ministry of John because something new is about ready to happen. Something new is about ready to shift. There's a new thing that God's doing. And so John is going to disappear all the way to Luke chapter seven. John is gonna disappear because Luke wants to show you the releasing and demonstration of what's about ready to happen. So he literally comes in, he talks about how John gets thrown in prison, which is a powerful thought and, and concept. But then he comes back, back to the river scene. And he says, Jesus showed up at the river. Now you have to understand, Jesus is not the only one at the river. I mean, there's major groups at the river. And probably at this time, John has dunked so many people that we begin to call him John the Baptist. So that means there is a lot of people who've been baptized by John. And so when Jesus shows up at the river, you would think Luke gives us some details. How many like details? Yep, see, I told you, my wife, first, first, I told the first service, my wife's really into details. I kind of gloss over the details. That was Luke, okay? Luke glosses over the water baptism of Jesus. He doesn't even mention it. He doesn't talk about it. He just says, listen, Jesus got baptized. I want you to know Jesus got baptized. But me and my wife, we love details because we're one and I'm trying to get into details. So me and my wife, we love details. And so let me ask you a question. When Jesus got baptized, did he wear a robe? Yes. 
See, when Jesus got baptized, did John take Jesus, hold him down an extra couple seconds, they were cousins, yeah. <laughs> and then pull him up? I mean, what is the details of the baptism? It's almost like Luke is saying, listen, listen, I don't want you to focus on the baptism. I don't want you to focus on the water. Hey, Jesus got baptized. That's all you need to know. He got dunked in the river. That's all you need to know. You don't need to know how. You don't need to know what he's wearing. You don't need to know how long. It's not important. What really is important is what Jesus was doing down at the river. And notice what it says, verse 21. Listen to what it says. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized, and while he prayed. Now, if you go back and you look at the original language and you look at this, it has this idea of a continuous action. It has this idea that Jesus is down at the river and Jesus is living in a state of prayer. So you say, well, how is he praying? Well, Jesus is not over uh, at the corner of the river kneeling on the rocks. He's not kneeling down and praying like that. It literally gives you the idea that the whole time that he's on the scene of the Jordan River, he is releasing prayer into an atmosphere. So the idea is, Jesus shows up at the river. There's many people in line. First question does Jesus wait in line? Or does he jump to the front of the line? He is the Messiah. Well, I say he waits in line. That's just me. Can't prove it, but that's what I say. So hey, Jesus is waiting in line. John is, is baptizing a little girl. Jesus says, oh, hey, I'll get her towel. And as Jesus runs over to grab the towel of the young girl, Jesus is in this state of prayer. Jesus is in this intimacy with the Father. Jesus is releasing and talking to his dad. And as he's getting the towel, he's praying over that young girl. Oh, God, would you bless this young girl? And he brings the towel to John. And as he's doing that, he is releasing prayer into an atmosphere. He's releasing what's inside of him which is intimacy with God, he's releasing it up into heaven. And he's beginning to transform the whole atmosphere of the river. Now, you guys know, and I know, the scriptures talk about this. The scriptures talk about atmosphere. Now, we don't use the word atmosphere. The scriptures actually use the idea of heaven. Uh, Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about a third heaven. And he talks about how this man got caught up in the spirit into the third heaven, the place where God is, the third heaven. John the Revelator in the book of Revelation talks about getting caught up into the spirit into the third heaven, the place where God is. So we know there is a third heaven where God dwells. Scriptures also refer to a second heaven or Ephesians refers to it as a heavenly realm. Look at your neighbor and say, heavenly realm. Oh, look at your other neighbor and say, I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen it, right? Well, what is the heavenly realm? Well, you realize the heavenly realm is the second heaven, and the heavenly realm is the atmosphere or the realm that we cannot see with our eyes, but we realize the heavenly realm 
is all around us, right? Uh, We realize that the heavenly realm, put your hand out like this, the heavenly realm is at the end of your fingertips. It's just out of your reach. Oh, it's at the end of your nose. And if you have a really long nose, it's at the end of that. See, the heavenly realm is all around you. And where is the heavenly realm? Well, we know in the heavenly realm that that there's the blessedness. Ephesians chapter one tells us there's holiness and righteousness and love and adoption and chosenness in the heavenly realm. But we also know in the heavenly realm that the enemy is in the heavenly realm. And we know that right now in this room, there is a battle going on in the heavenly realm. And there's an atmosphere in this room right now, if you had eyes to see it, there's an atmosphere all around you. There's a heavenly realm all around you. There's this atmosphere that is pushing down upon you right now in this room. And then the first heaven is what you see. And so we see the beauty of our our sanctuary. And our chairs are not pink. I got corrected. They're rose. Of course. Everybody knows that. So they're not pink. Although Allie would say they're pink. But anyways, that's a whole other thing. So coming back to the heavenly realm idea. So right now in this room, if we had eyes to see, we could see the heavenly realm. See, you're familiar with this. Give you a couple illustrations. First illustration. Oh, this is awesome. Have you ever been invited to someone's house? And maybe they invite you over for like dinner. And so you and your wife... You go into their house, and when you walk in the door, you can tell they've had a major fight right before you got there. (laughs) Have you ever done that? I mean, like a 10 out of a 10 fight, okay? Why? What do you say? Well, I walked into the room, and I could cut the tension with a, what is that? Atmosphere. I could sense something in the atmosphere. Well, could you see it? No, I couldn't see it. I mean, I saw his wife, you know, but there was atmosphere. Give you another illustration. Uh, You wake up, second service, you're late. You look over at your wife, hey, we gotta get up. We gotta get to service. Who set the alarm? Someone unplugged it. Oh no, we gotta get her daughter up. She's five years old. Everybody gets up. And so you begin to hustle around. You're frantic. Why? You gotta get to second service, okay? So, oh, you're, you're, oh, cannot believe you're late. So you're getting ready. Uh, so you get your daughter ready. You throw on some clothes. You quickly do her hair. And so maybe you're not as gentle as you've been in the past. And she loves when you do her hair. And so whenever you do your hair, uh, her hair, she does this. The whole time you're doing her hair, which creates a lovely atmosphere in your home. And so you guys hop into the car, you you get into the car, uh, you put your daughter in a car seat. She loves to be in a car seat. She wants to give appreciation as she's in the car seat. So the whole time she's in the car seat, she's going, ha! And you and your wife begin to talk and you get into what I like to call aggressive negotiations (laughs) over who set the alarm. Has that ever happened to you? And it creates a lovely atmosphere in your car. Oh, you pull up to church. 
You get out of the car. Pastor Paul's waiting at the door. He says, hey, so good to see you. How was your morning? Oh, you get out. You say, oh, good morning to you too. Well, he had an awesome morning. Presence of God was just so thick. See, you have an atmosphere. And then you come into church and you carry that atmosphere into church. And you release that in a place. And that's kind of a funny illustration, but, but think if you were struggling with like anxiety. So you take that and you bring it into a sanctuary and that atmosphere begins to permeate. And what would happen if, if four or five or 10 or 15 people come in and all the atmospheres of their life begin to come into this place? You understand that there's a spiritual, do you realize in the reality in this moment, there's a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly realms right over top of us? Because the enemy wants to keep us isolated in our atmospheres. He wants to keep us into our bondage. He wants you not to tell everybody. He wants you to come into church and say, oh, I'm good. Everything's normal. I'm fine. And he wants you to put on the right face. But you understand when you walk into the place, there's a spiritual atmosphere that you are poetoing or pushing into this atmosphere. And if we're around you long enough, we can sense what's going on in your life. And what would it look like if all of us came into this place and we had this atmosphere, but Jesus is down at the river and Jesus has his own atmosphere and the atmosphere is intimacy with his father. The atmosphere is I'm praying. The atmosphere is I'm always praying and and, and I'm living in response to the father. And because he's in that atmosphere, he's releasing that atmosphere. He's releasing that into an corporate atmosphere and the atmosphere of the river begins to shift. The atmosphere of the river gets impregnated with prayer and whenever the atmosphere of of something gets impregnated with prayer, it is prime real estate for a movement of God. So you understand, Jesus is down at the river. He's releasing a heavenly atmosphere. He's releasing the kingdom down at the river and he's transforming the atmosphere and all of a sudden, heaven is ripped open, man. Spirit of God descends on him. A voice from the sky says, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And Jesus gets baptized in the spirit because he's living in an atmosphere of prayer. At the Jordan River. Not at church. So you understand that you could take the atmosphere that's inside of you and you could go down to Walmart where the Walmartians are. It's a whole new breed of race at night. But anyways, so you could go down. You want evangelism? Go to Walmart late at night. So anyways, you go down there. You understand that the atmosphere that is inside of you is greater than the atmosphere of Walmart. And when you walk into Walmart, you are literally, if you're walking in intimacy with dad, you're walking in intimacy with the father, you're beginning to transform and shift and shape Walmart. It is almost like the enemy who's there says, oh no, a son or daughter of God has shown up on the scene and all of a sudden there's a shifting in the corporate atmosphere. And you know what happens if you run into someone else from church at Walmart in the grocery aisle, hey, you're picking out meat, right? 
you realize you could have church at Walmart because two atmospheres come together and he says where two or three are gathered together, there I am also. And what if you carried such an atmosphere that when you walked into Walmart, people's lives were transformed and changed? And what if we carried such an atmosphere that on Sunday morning when we came to this place, which is uh, just a, a building, when we came to this place, we were the house of God carrying the atmosphere of God, carrying the presence of God, and we were releasing that into this atmosphere, and we had 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or all of us releasing righteousness and holiness and deliverance and healing and joy and life and peace in an atmosphere of this place, you realize the ground would begin to shake. And what if you could release such an atmosphere, man, that when someone who was addicted, someone who was broken, someone who was hurting, came into this place, there was such a corporate atmosphere, man. There was such an atmosphere on the place that it literally hovered over the place and they would find freedom without anybody saying anything. That's the river. And it comes out of our intimacy with the Father. It comes out of our intimacy and prayer with him. Do you believe that? I'm going to show you one more illustration of this. If you want, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You know the story. That's... <laughs> It's the story of the early church talking about atmosphere of prayer. It's the story of the early church. Peter and John have healed the lame man. Well, of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they get all bent out of shape because, hey, they didn't go through the right protocol. So they get all up shape, out of shape. Can't believe that they had the audacity to heal someone. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, they show up and, and they, man, they drill Peter and, and, and um, they, they drill him and say, hey, listen, you can't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And they warn him and they say, if you do that, we're, we're gonna call you in again and we're, we're gonna discipline you. And so Peter and John come back and, and they gather around the church and, and you understand that this is the early church, man. The, the birthing of the church has just happened. Pentecost has happened two chapters ago. So the church is very, very young. It's very, very young. It's, I mean, it's large, but it's very young. And so the church is very, very young. It has been threatened by the religious of the day. The Jews, the, the, the religious of their day have come up against the church saying, you will not preach in Jesus' name anymore. You will not heal anybody anymore. Quit doing that. We don't want you to do that. So the church gathers together and you would think the church would gather together based on fear. Because if it was me, I would probably gather together based on fear because I'd be like, oh man, the higher ups are coming up against us. They're persecuting us saying we can't do this anymore. God, what do we do? But what's so interesting about the prayer, when you listen to the prayer, you would think they would say, oh man, um, God, we're crying out to you because we need you. And they are doing that, but notice what it says, Acts chapter four, verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. And so they begin to talk about this prayer, which is very, very powerful, because they begin to talk about a God who is sovereign, a God who's in control, a God who knows what he's doing. 
And they begin to talk about a God who's not defeated. They begin to talk about a God who's actually alive. They begin to talk about a God who's still on the throne. They begin to talk to him. And it's not God, well, we're, we're scared, we're huddled in the corner. They begin to remind themselves through prayer who God really is. And what if our prayer times are not, oh, poor is me, or hey, God, I need you to move with this because I've got this giant problem. What if you begin to say, God, I know who you are, will you deal with this? And so they literally begin to do that, and then notice what happens. This is so cool. So they begin to talk about who God is, and prayer, in, the, in, in prayer, they begin to remind themselves of who God is and how God has literally taken all the kings of the earth, and he has gathered them together to take a stand against Jesus. So God has the ability to gather everybody up against Jesus. So God is in control. God is sovereign. And then notice what they say. Verse 29, now, Lord, look on your threats and grant your service, your servants, that with all boldness, we may speak your word. So it's not like, oh, well, hey, God, we need to do something else. Hey, God, we need to go underground. Hey, God, we probably shouldn't do this anymore. It is, God, we need to have a new level of boldness because, God, you are sovereign, and what is in us is greater than what's in the world, and whatever oppression, whatever persecution, whatever we're facing, it's not really that big of a deal to you, God, because you are in charge, you are sovereign. So, God, would you take what's in us and would you magnify Magnify it? Would you increase it? Would you make it more? Could we release more of you in the midst of our world? Would you give us a greater boldness and a greater courage? Because what's in us is greater than what's outside of us. So what if when you walk into a church and, hey, someone might be struggling with sin, you say, oh, wow, there's sin in the atmosphere of the church. What if what's in you is greater than that sin? And what if we had 10 or 15 or 20 people who were living with intimacy with the Father and they were living in this atmosphere of prayer and the atmosphere of the intimacy? I wonder if the beginning and shifting of a whole church would begin to transform. And what if, and I'm gonna talk about this this week, what if the church of Marysville, Ohio, not just your church, but the church of Marysville, Ohio, what if it got into an atmosphere of prayer and began to saturate Marysville, Ohio with prayer. I wonder if there could be a transformation in our city because what we're releasing is greater than what's outside. See, my prayer this morning is you begin to realize who Jesus is in you. See, my prayer this morning is that you will get into that atmosphere of prayer. See, you will get into this atmosphere of intimacy with the Father. We're gonna, I need to quit. Pastor Amy's gonna come. I called her Pastor Kim this morning. Pastor Amy's gonna come. I wondered why you were looking around this morning. She's like, she's gonna come and she's gonna lead us in worship. What's this week about? See, this week's about revival. This week, is about the book of Obadiah, which you don't have to turn there, but I marked it. See, the greatest problem with the church of America is we have released what we received. And what we have is not really that great. 
not transforming our world. See, what we have is not bringing about transformation. And we try programs and we try agendas and we try bring a friend Sunday, which is not bad. But what if you could step into an atmosphere of intimacy with dad? What if you could step into an atmosphere of prayer that literally would begin to transform the atmosphere of your life that wherever you walked, you released the kingdom of God that was inside of you. What if God, and I'm telling you, God, God's calling the church to a new hour. This is a new season. I'm gonna preach this this week. This is a new season. God is calling the church of America out of the wilderness because we've been going in circles. And we, have, we, look, we, we look godly, but we have no power. And the power of God is to transform a life. The power of God is to take the addicted guy and, and transform him and make him a new creation. That's the power of God. The power of God is to take the, the guy who's religious, who's an orphan, and make him a son. That's the power of God. So we're stepping into a new season, but here's the season. God's calling the church to healing. He's calling us to deliverance. He's calling us to allow God to heal us so we can release what we received. And what we received is healing. What we received is prayer. What we received is the atmosphere of the kingdom of God inside us. And Obadiah talks about this. And I just want to share this this morning because I'm going to, I'm going to call for a, an altar call of healing this morning. Verse 17, this is Obadiah. It's only one chapter. So don't try to find it in your Bibles because it's in the middle of the Old Testament. But it's one chapter, verse 17. But on Mount Zion, do you realize Mount Zion is wherever the presence of God is? So wherever the presence of God is, that's Mount Zion, okay? He says, but on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. What if I told you you don't have to struggle with sin? What if I told you you don't have to struggle with anxiety, depression? What if I told you you don't have to struggle with the same patterns over and over? What if I told you you don't have to struggle with the generational curses that have haunted you all your life? See, what if I told you you don't have to struggle with complacency? What if I told you you don't have to struggle with religion? See, what if I told you you don't have to struggle with apathy? See, what if I told you that the Spirit of God could come inside of you, begin to transform and shift the atmosphere of your life, that wherever you went, you released the kingdom? that's deliverance and he wants to do it in the church because he's calling the church into Galilee into power that we could release what we received so God wants to change the atmosphere of our lives and the second thing he says but on Mount Zion there will be deliverance and there shall be holiness and holiness is wholeness God wants to do a wholeness in our heart man Wherever the presence of God is, there's a purity and a power. What if God wanted to do something in your church? What if he wanted to start with you? What if he wanted to transform your atmosphere? That he brought healing into your heart and your life. That wherever you went, you released healing. Wherever you went, you released Jesus. Wherever you went, you transformed people's lives because the love of God is inside of you. Jesus, oh, I want that in my life. 
And I believe these are Mount Zion types of moments, God, for your church. I believe you're calling us into a new season. I believe you're calling us out of the wilderness, God, and you're calling us into, into a season of power and authority. I believe you want to release something in the land. And Father, even this morning as I was Marco Poloing, God, I heard about the law in California of trying to ban literature coming up against the Bible. But Jesus, would the church realize that the Bible is in us? The words inside of us. And may the church in California realize that there's a Jesus that's inside of them that's more powerful than anything that comes up against them. And Father, I I even think of those who feel threatened, God. I, I pray, God, that they would have a perspective this morning of who you are, that you are sovereign, Dad, and that what's inside of them is greater, God, and and what's inside of them can be released and healing and life can come forth, God. Father, would we quit operating from defeat? But Jesus, would we begin to operate from a place of victory? a place of life, a place of healing, a place of wholeness, a place of holiness. God, would you awaken your body to the righteousness that they are the righteousness of God? Would you awaken your beloved? Would you awaken your church? Would you transform our atmosphere? Would you change this place? And Jesus, would you make us more and more and more like you? that when we gather together, the ground shakes because there's an outpouring of your spirit. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, I, I have a very specific prayer call. We have these things up here called altars. And altars this, rep- this morning just simply represents a place. If Jesus is speaking to you, I want you to respond. And I just want you to say yes. This morning you may come and you may say, hey, listen, man, the atmosphere of my life's not really that great. Jesus himself said, hey, take heart. In this world, you will have trouble. The word trouble is oppression. So we live in a world full of chaos and depression and oppression. And so maybe this morning you came with the spirit of heaviness. But I want to tell you today that God wants to change the atmosphere of your life. God wants to remove the spirit of heaviness and he wants to put on the garment of praise. See, maybe this morning you come in and maybe you've been struggling with a pattern. Maybe you've been studying with iniquity. Maybe you've been struggling with the same thing over and over. Maybe this morning you want to come and you just want to lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want this this morning. I'm telling you, there's healing and life and wholeness in who he is. Maybe this morning you need emotional healing. need a healing of your mind and your emotions. Maybe you've been through some brokenness. Maybe you've been through some hurts. Maybe you're walking through grief. I don't know where you are this morning, but I want to give you the opportunity to respond. And maybe this morning you simply say, you know what, I just want to come and I want to allow Jesus to begin to transform and change my atmosphere. I want to give you opportunity this morning. The altar's open. We're going to spend a few moments of seeking, a few moments of responding. If you need healing this morning, I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come and I want you to kneel. We're going to seek, we're going to respond, we're going to worship. 
and then pastor's gonna come and close this when it's time.